on this edition of the program. We are going to empty the notebook on Iowa and the campaign undertaker has some unfinished business. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, V, and Craig. I have predictions for the Iowa caucus. Uh, this will go up right before it happens, so we'll see how right I am. Look at that. That's uh, Des Moines right now. And it looks, or sorry, it is worse than it looks. It has been iced out for the last several days. It was the reason why I got here late to cover everything. And the roads are especially terrible. And I know that Iowans are tough when it comes to cold, but when the roads are dangerous, people think about leaving their house less. So I do believe that there's going to be lower turnout for this particular caucus. And I think that especially hurts Nikki Haley. She needs casuals to come out and register as Republicans, even if they're Democrats or independents. That's how she gets to the number that she's been polling at. If she don't do that, she's not going to do as well as the polling suggests. So I believe Donald Trump will be at uh, 50% or above. I believe Ron DeSantis will be the second place and he will probably be in the mid-teens, and I have Nikki Haley right below. As far as dropouts, I think Vivek Ramaswamy probably drops out, maybe Asa Hutchinson, but Asa Hutchinson should have dropped out four months ago, and he still hasn't. Those are my predictions for Iowa. about this. Apparently, there's there's from what we're hearing from the Iowa Republican Party, right, the Iowa GOP, there's going to be a, a somewhat low turnout for this caucus. They're, they're sort of projecting 130,000. The Associated Press is projecting that former President Donald Trump is the winner of the 2024 Iowa caucus. Again, this is a projection. These are not official results. Uh, we have right now about 2% of precincts reporting early numbers here. Uh, but the AP is confident in their exit polling that they have uh, that they have the ability to uh, project Donald Trump as the winner of the Iowa caucus. Most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. Coming back, as we've been reporting throughout the night, CBS News projects former President Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses while Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley battle for second place and what looks like a distant second place. But now we can make another call. The Fox News decision desk can now project that Governor Ron DeSantis will take second place in the Iowa caucuses. DeSantis will uh, trail Trump, as we said, by a significant margin there. But coming in second may give his campaign a much-needed boost now. We love you, too. They threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. They spent almost $50 million dollars attacking us no one's faced that much all the way just through iowa they the media was against us they were writing our obituary months ago but i can tell you because of your support in spite of all of that that they threw at us everyone against us we've got our ticket punched out of iowa vague's gonna come in fourth and it's going to be very clear that party's over, pal. All of these clips are always the same when somebody drops out. 
It's like, uh, we did a great job. Yay! Like, your name, your name, your name. Then it's like, however, and then there's always one person. No! Like, <laughs> Businessman Vivek Ramanswamy suspended his campaign and endorsed the former president after coming in fourth. As of this moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be... program live and direct from the campaign trail in Iowa, an interregnum before we flip on back out to the trail in New Hampshire. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you for this January 17th, 2024 edition of the program. And as you heard at the beginning, your boy is hot. Now, I look like hot trash on the video version because I am unshaven. (laughs) I I look like an unmade bed because I have been up since four o'clock trying to get back from Des Moines. But it is all for your benefit because we've got some sound and I've got some final thoughts based on what I have seen of the lessons people have learned from the Iowa caucus. And I just want to start off here. The headline here is Donald Trump. And the largest questions that have yet to be answered that were dug up by what happened in Iowa really all revolve around Trump. We're going to dig into the minutiae here because this is a show about politics. And so it is interesting to me to see where candidates apply strategy and when they decide to bail out. So we will spend a lot of time on Nikki and Ron DeSantis and Vivek and everybody else. But let's start here. Donald Trump scored an insane victory. Anyone who tells you that 51% in the Iowa caucus is not extraordinarily impressive is lying to you. You are you are ingesting spin. I will say what I what I played at the beginning for my predictions. I think this Caucus is different if the weather wasn't bad. Okay. This was not cold weather. This was not bad roads. This was Cormac McCarthy cold and ice road truckers level transit. Okay. The same people that would normally be driving voters to caucuses were digging them out of their homes that were on impassable rural roads for three days. These people were coming out of the shining situations. Okay. If that doesn't happen, I do believe Nikki Haley gets second. I do believe Ron DeSantis might be out of this race. And I do believe Donald Trump might have come in below 50%. Cause I think that we get probably 
we're not 57,000 voters down from 2016 like we were on Monday. So there's the first. All right. Let's that, that, that's I've seen a lot of spin, uh, a lot of people trying to say, well, you know, but, but, but everyone's going to figure uh, a way to shade the truth in a direction that benefits them. It's politics. That's what you're supposed to do. But I'm here to tell you the real. I knew that was going to happen. It did happen. I, I feel like I got a really good beat on this race right now. And that's that. Let's get into an issue. And I, I might spend, I'm definitely going to bring people on to talk about this because I think it's going to be a massive issue for the general. But in both CNN and Fox News's entrance poll for the caucus, the number one issue that caucus goers were voting on was immigration. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the if, ands, and buts about Donald Trump, okay? But we know now that immigration is not a Republican exclusive issue anymore. The New York City mayor just had a big speech detailing their budget, talking about how a fourth of the population of Rochester, New York, Shout out to the original home of dinosaur barbecue and the garbage plate and the garbage plate has moved into New York by way of migrants and asylum seekers. This is not just a Pat Buchanan uh, issue anymore. Okay. This is not just for Fox news. This is something that affects Democrats independents, and obviously conservatives. So while we are talking about Donald Trump, what does he mean? What does he not mean? Is he Hitler? Blah, 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 blah. Let's also understand that far and away, his signature issue in 2016, one that he was defined on through that election, one that was a signature Line in the sand in the 2020 election, the border. He is now more right than he has ever been with more people. Just based on independents and Democrats, how they are now polling on this. And because it's so plug and play, I kind of feel like it's being missed. I have not heard a lot of people talk about it. But if we're going to ask ourselves, why are we letting Donald Trump back into this process? I don't think that can be ignored. We'll spend a lot more time on that issue and on Trump going forward. Let's get into the Nikki Haley of it all. Nikki Haley came out last night and said, this is now a two-person race. Which is odd because she came in third. And I understand her instinct to say, hey, Ron, this is an A and B conversation. Why don't you see your way out of it? And if you look at Ron DeSantis' path, I do think mathematically she has a chance to make that argument. But that was an argument for today and not last night. 
Ron DeSantis is still out there. Now, he's not going to have a shot at anything until South Carolina. And if that's the case, and you're going to have to run against Donald Trump, who's extraordinarily popular in South Carolina, and Nikki Haley, who is the former governor of South Carolina, I don't necessarily think his chances are all that rosy there either. Ron DeSantis, by placing second in Iowa, has bought himself the opportunity to poll spectacularly poorly for about a month and a half before he quits. That being said, he beat Nikki Haley. And in the room that I was in last night, because that's where I went initially, I initially went to Ron DeSantis's uh, watch party because I wanted to witness whether or not Ron DeSantis was going to quit. If he came in third, I thought it was a really, really, really legit chance. DeSantis was very late. His people were extraordinarily agitated by the fact that the AP and I believe ABC called the race within 30 minutes of the doors closing. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the caucus process, that is pretty much before surrogates have a chance to stop talking. So what normally happens at a caucus is everyone shows up, they close the doors sometime around seven. Could be later than seven if there's a bunch of people. Doors close and then surrogates for, or sometimes the candidates themselves will give their pitch. So before those speeches were done, the AP called the race. And that means in an age of smartphones, a bunch of people that were at the caucuses got these alerts. The DeSantis people were furious. Should you take that really seriously? No. <laughs> you shouldn't take it very seriously. I think, Look, if we want to go into journalism world and discuss whether or not journalistically you should be more careful with stuff like that, should they have, even if they were sure, should they have waited until an hour into it? Maybe. But we're in a highly competitive media environment where the first person to call something is given the most attention. So I can understand the pressures as to why they would want to do what they did. But mostly the reason why the DeSantis people were mad, and I'm not saying that they weren't actually mad. I'm sure that they were. I mean, I was next to them. They were cheesed. But part of the reason why you're going to be mad about that is because you want something that you can take the lead on. It's hard to take the lead on getting your tail whipped by 30 points, right? You don't do that with confidence. <laughs> you do that with your tail between your legs. Now you can be happy you beat Nikki, but kind of a loser's lament if the guy at the top of the ticket was that far ahead. So you instead latch onto something that you can be absolutely sure you're the boss of. Oh, this media, this media done did it again. They tried to, uh, to vote suppress our total, so we can't even really look at it seriously. But even with this voter suppression, we still wound up doing great. Okay, okay, okay. That is what it is. And kudos to the, to, to the DeSantis people. They found the metaphor to wrap up the night. Ron DeSantis was punching his ticket out of Iowa. Nikki Haley you know, 
she no longer can walk the savage path. It's not going to be 21, 21. It, it might be 31, uh, uh, 21. But the problem with Nikki Haley is she needs independents and Democrats. A Nikki Haley that could legitimately make this a race is one that can really get excitement with the suburban crowd that has abandoned the Republican Party in 2020. And the question is, are there enough of those to really make a difference? Or are they just the tiny sliver that really, really matters when it comes to the general? My bet at the very beginning, my prediction was based on the idea that Nikki Haley was not going to be able to get casuals to register as a Republican for one night so they could caucus and get Nikki Haley over the finish line. I think I was proven right there. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. The good news for her, she didn't get the Chris Christie endorsement this morning, which is something that I thought might happen, but she did get a poll that has her nodded 40-40 with Trump. More on that in Friday's episode. Which brings us to the also-rans. But you don't really talk about them normally, right? No. They're no longer with us. Asa Hutchinson and Vivek Ramaswamy, well, they belong to the campaign undertaker now. And we do his bidding after this break. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where you support this show. And oh, my Lord, have you guys come through whenever I'm on the road. It always happens. You always reward going out there and getting you guys the scoop from the source. And it's going to keep going. We got one caucus down. We got the first in the nation primary this weekend. We got Vegas and the Nevada caucus and primary after that. And then what will likely be the end of this primary or the beginning of the next phase. That is the South Carolina death match. Oh, out in Columbia. It's going to be a great time. Thank you guys for doing it. Uh, uh, one more reminder. This this does not happen with the largesse of any kind of corporate entity. We are not underwritten by an advertiser. We have each other. That's it. We have TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I give you something for your money. At three bucks a week, you guys get two bonus episodes. Last week, it was my campaign diaries all the sound that i that i got on the campaign trail put it all into an episode and it was there for you um thank you thank you the the uptick has been measurable and i really hope that this content is worth it for you guys 
I, I won't get too mushy. We got a long way to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Let's go ahead and get into the stories that have nothing to do with the Iowa caucus. President Joe Biden has invited congressional leaders to the White House for a meeting Wednesday to discuss ongoing negotiations over a national security spending bill to aid Ukraine and other priorities, according to three people familiar with the request. Senate negotiators have spent months discussing a potential bipartisan agreement to add new border and immigration policy restrictions to Biden's supplemental request for $100 billion for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and border security. Those negotiations, by the way, haven't worked. Turns out stapling a problem to a problem to another problem doesn't make any of the problems less hard to work through. Huh. Who knew? Among those expected to attend are Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Speaker Mike Johnson, as well as House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Key committee leaders, including those heading the Appropriations Committee, are also expected to attend, according to two people. Punchbowl broke this story. Man, I've been saying this for a while. I I long expected for Joe Biden to be Legislator-in-Chief Working in the Senate was his superpower. He spent the vast majority of his career there. This is something that I think he probably should have taken a lead role on. Maybe earlier, but obviously there's an art to that. You only want to step in as the president when you know you can get a deal. So we'll take that as a sign that they think this is close. But who knows? I have no idea about the competency of the Biden administration with stuff like this. I have no idea how to read it at the very least. You know, we're still getting drip drip on Lloyd Austin. The new drip today was that Lloyd Austin, when he called for an ambulance to his home, he requested the ambulance come by with no lights and no siren. I didn't know that you could hit the mute button on those things. Senator Bernie Sanders is leveraging a provision in the Foreign Assistance Act to prompt a Senate vote on a resolution that would condition U.S. military aid to Israel. This move is in response to concerns about a potential human right violation, rights violation, plural actually, violations in Gaza, particularly following the the Israeli military action after the attacks on Israeli civilians on October 7th. Sanders' resolution demands that the Senate Department or sorry, the State Department, investigate and report any such violations during Israel's blockade and invasion of Gaza. This, if the State Department fails to provide a report within 30 days, U.S. assistance to Israel will be haunted, or ha- haunted, will be halted. Sanders, a vocal critic of the Benjamin Netanyahu government, has condemned what he describes as indiscriminate and disproportionate military operations in Gaza. He's particularly critical of the Israeli blockade, which he believes is a significant violation of international law, blocking essential humanitarian aid from reaching Gaza. The resolution, which Sanders argues is not prescriptive, but rather a request for transparency for U.S. aid, is set to be discussed due to his ability to force a discharge from the Foreign Relations Committee. However, the resolution faces a challenging path to becoming law. Needing approval from both Senate and House and the president's signature, Strike one, strike two, strike three, realistically. The Vermont senator has been at the forefront of criticizing Israel's military response in Gaza, which has reportedly resulted in over 24,000 Palestinian deaths. Sanders has 
urged Congress to reconsider over $10 billion in military funding for Israel, labeling the military response as immoral. He also highlights the extensive use of U.S.-supplied weapons in these operations, noting the disproportionate impact on civilian populations, including women and children. This is obviously going to continue to be an issue. Uh, the U.S. has, based on the normal clock for stuff like this, held off on publicly, at least the Biden administration has held off on publicly chastising Israel. There seems to be behind the scenes negotiations. But this is something that I've said for a while. Even if the United States was vocally opposed to what, what is happening in Gaza, I don't know how much it would change what Israel is doing. From all stripes of the Israeli political spectrum, including those that have worked their entire careers to unseat Benjamin Netanyahu from power, there appears to be consensus that the dismantling of Hamas needs to happen before they begin any significant drawdown, let alone a ceasefire. And also, periodic reminder that there are American hostages still in Gaza. So, something to keep in mind. Finally, a new federal scientific review suggests that marijuana may have medical benefits and is less risky than other substances under strict control. The review influences the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recommendation to the Drug Enforcement Administration's reclassification of marijuana which is currently grouped with drugs like heroin and LSD. The review acknowledges that marijuana, the most commonly abused illicit drug, poses lower public health risk than other abused drugs. It also notes evidence supporting marijuana's use in treating pain, anorexia, and chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting without significant safety concerns. However, some experts argue that the evidence for marijuana as medicine is not strong and high-potency products have been leaked to increase psychosis. The DEA is expected to decide on marijuana's rescheduling in the coming months, which could significantly impact the cannabis industry. Obviously, weed is legal state by state, but it lacks federal cohesion. While you could pass a law to do something like that, the fastest way that you could free up banks, governments, businesses to know where they stand federally on this is to remove it from the classification that is at as far as the DEA is concerned. We'll see. I think it's long overdue. I I, I kind of also wonder exactly what the political ramifications would be. You know, weed legalization is not now it's kind of, you know, de rigueur. You know, it's not it's not quite the uh, uh, throw your hands up and shout celebration that it might have been 10 years ago. And that's it for the news that doesn't involve the presidential race. Take politics dot com where you need to go to support this show. Let's go ahead and get back because the campaign undertaker has got to do his business. Oh, you thought he forgot? You thought you could just suspend your campaign? 
You thought that there wouldn't be somebody to collect? I say, oh no. But the man who you need to see is heralded by an The campaign undertaker comes to collect and we begin with the final piece of my prophecy. The final piece of what you heard at the beginning of this episode. I called everything else correct. And then I said Asa Hutchinson was going to drop out. And indeed, on Tuesday, he did just that. You gotta see the man. The eulogy on Asa Hutchinson 2024 is this. He was always a mushy middle candidate. He can never really figure out who he was to a broader audience. Was he... The... Red state governor who's evangelical friendly and signed a trigger law that essentially outlawed abortion after Roe versus Wade fell? Or was he a truth teller, a real conservative that was not afraid to call out people in his own party, including Donald Trump? Well, when he started, he was one. He was far more of the evangelical. He was up on stage saying that the United States needed a federal law when it came to dealing with abortion. And then when I saw him on Saturday night in Iowa, in Des Moines, he was basically a country-fried Chris Christie. Which, wait a minute. Means we also gotta come for the big man. Oh, Chris, 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 Chris Christie 2024 died with the same story as all of Chris Christie's political career. Never really fulfilling what many people thought was its true potential. We've touched on this on other episodes, but for everybody, and boy, did we hear it a lot last night or on Monday night. Oh, you got to attack the front runner. Attack the front runner. This is what not attacking the front runner gets you. If you're Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, blown out by 30 points. And that may be true. That might well be true that that's what it gets you. But based on Chris Christie, we know what attacking the front runner with every breath you draw gets you out of the race before the caucus. I can understand and appreciate that Chris Christie really, really meant what he said. He didn't feel that Donald Trump should ever step foot back in the White House again. And he wanted people to say it with their whole chest. And 
when it comes to Chris, that's a big chest. But, at the end of the day, did it work? Is Donald Trump closer or further away from the White House? Because he got up on stage and said he was an awful person whose butt smelled. And by the way, I can't let this campaign end without again chastising Chris Christie for saying that Donald Trump was ducking the debates and therefore he is Donald Duck. For those of you who are not aware of this, uh, Donna Brazil wrote a book about the 2016 campaign and how Hillary Clinton was talking about how Donald Trump was dodging his taxes, ducking his taxes. And Hillary Clinton's campaign brought an actual Disney Donald Duck to rallies. This vexed the Disney Corporation so much that they went to Donna Brazil, then a panelist, still a panelist on ABC, a Disney-owned network that obviously had connections with Hillary, and asked Donna Brazil to tell Hillary, please knock it off. Also on that same panel with Donna Brazil, Chris Christie. Christopher You should have better known better. At the end of the day, the thing that Chris Christie will probably most be known for in this was attacking other people on stage. It's the one thing that we really, really love him for. He decapitated Marco Rubio on stage that one time, and when we found out that we were going to be able to see him in primetime yelling at other people on a Republican primary stage, everybody rubbed their hands together. And in general, he didn't really do a lot. He defended Nikki Haley once, but the person he really, really liked to yell at was Vivek Ramaswamy. (gasps) Which means... The final of our three amigos. Our political Dia de los Muertos. The one, the only, Mr. Vivek Ramaswamy. And you want to know what? I'm going to go back to the first time that I saw Vivek's introduction video. I said Vivek had a chance to be this cycle's Andrew Yang. What he needed was the issue. The one issue that nobody else is talking about. I didn't really have that in his intro. And I'll say that he never really found it either. But what I was wrong about was that he needed it. He didn't. Vivek essentially was Donald Trump's young Sheldon. Do you like everything about America first, but kind of wish Trump really organically knew modern memes? Do you wish he went on Tim Pool's podcast more? Well, boy, do I have a candidate for you. That being said, when I was on the trail in Iowa... 
Vivek people really, really, really love Vivek. And I can understand why. He's an extraordinarily charismatic guy. My larger question with Vivek going forward is not that he, whether or not he has a future in politics. I absolutely believe he does. The question is, does he want it? You know, he's a biotech entrepreneur. He's an author. He spent a lot of his own money running in this campaign. And when I was in the room, as he dropped out on Monday, the look on his face was one of relief. He spent a lot of time and effort trying to make this a thing. He said in the campaign rally that I attended that he spent $30 million of his own money. And I had heard rumors that he had stopped paying a lot of people. He took all of his ads off television about a month ago. He had stopped paying his pollsters, which means he probably took a look at himself in the mirror and said, am I going to write myself another big fat check? Because by the way, things only get more expensive leaving Iowa. The answer was no. He seemed truly, truly excited about sleeping in his own bed in Ohio. But as I record this, he's up on stage with Donald Trump doing what I always thought would be the thing that he's going to have the most impact for in this general election. And that is being a Trump super surrogate. So you have the little moment, a little dust up with Trump toward the end, but Vivek Ramaswamy from zero name recognition to 8% in Iowa. Man got himself two delegates in this process and an enemy for life in Nikki Haley. I remember the first time that we saw those two go back and forth during the first debate. I wound up getting on the phone with a friend of mine and uh, his wife. She's uh, Indian. And I said, what a great moment in Indian-American history to see two candidates of Indian descent just destroy each other. (laughs) Just twisted metal, no holds barred, dirty pool, hair pulling and finger poking, straight out brawling on stage. Welcome to the show, Vivek. Unfortunately, this was not the time, and The Undertaker has come to claim your campaign. And so, to Asa Hutchinson, Chris Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy's political ambitions for the White House in the year 2024, may they rest in and that will wrap it up for us today politics 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 written and hosted by me justin robert young for dog and pony show audio in austin texas partially recorded researched from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to you. 
you want to email the program with any thoughts that are on your mind, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you would like to hit me up on Twitter, the show is at px3tweets. I am Justin R. Young. You can also find Justin R. Young on Instagram and TikTok and politics, politics, politics at at politics, politics, politics on YouTube, youtube.com slash at politics, politics, politics for clips of the show, video of the show and all the other ancillary social media stuff. Catch me streaming live px3live.com whenever I am here in the studio. And you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. All that, of course, letter P, letter X, number three, podcast.com. If you appreciate what I am doing out here, independent, well, you can kick me a little one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. And thank you guys. We got a couple $200 donations and I used it to buy people drinks at the bar every time I hit the bar in Iowa, buttering up bartenders. Boy, was it, uh, uh, did it go to good use? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then of course, cash app is PX3 cash. If you want to send me anything in the mail, it is PO box one, five, three, one, eight, four, Austin, Texas, seven, eight, seven, one five. You can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier. Get your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Alo, ye old pinball shop. John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers. Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, his nerdiness Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley Steven, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Jen, D, really? Andrew, Gloria, my mom, Neemeister J, Devon, the CFP, Neil, Spider Rogue, and Fat Tony's PJs from New York. You want to join their ranks, and we've got a few new of a, a few new folks. Only one place to go, takepoliticsseriously.com. I'm scrambling to find some uh, 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 exactly how we're going to attack our new Hampshire preview episode that will be on Friday, but trust me, we're going to break down everything that we can. We're going to look back in time. I thought for a second that this might be a mano a mano. And so I was, I was doing some research on Gore versus Bradley back in 2000. Not the case. We are, we are in a three-way dance, but we're definitely going to at least have some of the latest polls on this. And, you know, without Chris Christie in this race, Again, one of them came out today, 40-40, knotted up. We'll see. How does Vivek being out of it? He didn't have a ton of juice in New Hampshire, 6%, but is it enough to put Trump over the top? And if Trump does win and notches together Iowa and New Hampshire, does that mean the rest of this is basically a foregone conclusion? We will tackle all that and more on Friday's edition of the show. But. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying 
Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics. Still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.